I actually love Dave in that video. He's uh, such a calm guy. And then uh, we go to the concert, and I'm thinking, is that the same Dave? <laughs> I am really excited about this uh, concert. You know why? Because um, I'm expecting God to be there. And God's going to show up in an amazing way. I already know that. He did some amazing things last year. We had kids make faith commitments. We launched a small group. And uh, this is an unprecedented opportunity for us to connect with young adults in this community in this way. It's an opportunity for us to use music to introduce people uh, to how to have a relationship with God in the Bible. And so uh, we have a vision here at Springbrook of what? Building passionate followers of Jesus Christ, right? It begins relationally by talking to people about him. And this is an opportunity for us to talk about knowing God and how to know God and knowing more of God. And it would be great if you could pick up some ticket invitations, maybe give them to your kids, kind of pass them along to somebody that you know. We've got some posters out there. Um, but uh, I want to encourage you to be looking for ways to invite somebody to uh, come to this concert. At this concert, everyone is going to have an opportunity uh, to sign up for one of our young adult small groups. Right now, we have uh, one group. It's got 30 kids in it. There's about 20 meeting routinely. And so this is going to be an opportunity for us not just to be able to talk to them about how to have a relationship with Christ, but invite them to get connected to a small group. And so it's going to be an exciting opportunity. And uh, small groups are a great way to get to know more about God. And, uh, and everyone at Springbrook is going to have an opportunity to sign up for a small group as well. And so as we head into the month of September... Uh, Pastor Dan's preparing for our fall series, and we're going to have an opportunity for everyone at Springbrook to get plugged into a, a small group. They're a great way to build relationships with others and get to know more about God. And I don't know uh, if you're aware of this or not, but this is an important thing to talk about because there is a lot of confusion out there, right, in the world about who God is and how to have a relationship with God, right? I mean, looking at a global landscape, you know, here's some of the information that I've found. Um, I used to spend more time with this when I was traveling internationally. But uh, we have Hinduism out there. Has anybody heard of Hinduism? Uh, we've got uh, it's found it's thousands of years old. Um, not really founded by one person, but rather maybe a group of people, seven sages during the uh, Vectic period. They, you know, they got together and they looked at the stars and they looked around at nature and they kind of came up with some guiding principles. And they've got these writings. Uh, you know, there's a whole sense of uh, uh, reincarnation and I mean, there's just a whole system of belief that's surrounding Hinduism. And and there is. Uh, almost a billion people worldwide that accept this, reject Christianity, reject the God of the Bible, and have embraced this teaching. You know, traditionally, um, these uh, sages, these leaders, um, were all consigned to the flames or buried. And so everyone that was involved in helping get Hinduism started is all dead, buried, or burned, and uh, gone. And then we have um, uh, Buddhism, you know, founded by a guy named Siddhara uh, Gautama. And, um, you know, he uh, actually came out of Hinduism, and so it's a form of... Um, uh, Hinduism. It's about uh, half a billion people worldwide believe in uh, Buddhism. I've got some great friends that are Buddhists. Uh, they reject God of the Bible and they embrace the teachings of Buddhism. Um, this gentleman that started uh, uh, this world religion is actually buried in uh, Kushingar. He's up in India. And so we have a northern India, southern India, a lot of activity in India, right, with regard to world religions. Almost a billion and a half people embrace um, those two world religions. And then we have Islam, and most people are familiar with that. There's been a lot of conversations about Islam and Muslims. And, uh, you know, that was founded by a guy named Abul uh, Kazim Muhammad, otherwise known as the Prophet Muhammad. And uh, we've got the Quran. I've got a copy of the Quran. It's a great opportunity to, uh, to engage and talk with other people about uh, what their belief system is. But that is 1.5 billion people globally, and it is the fastest growing religion on earth. Not only do they embrace these teachings, but they reject the teachings of Christianity and, and the Bible. And so right here, we've got 50% of the world population that believes something other than what we believe right here. That not only believe something different, but reject the God of the Bible. 50% of the world population. And then we have these other religions. We have Baha'i, 
uh, Jainism, Taoism, Confucianism, and uh, just a variety of different beliefs. But, uh, you know, it's interesting to think about this. Here's the deal. 50% of the world population does not believe what we're about ready to talk about this morning. They reject God. They reject the God of the Bible and they've embraced other teachings. And then in that other 50%, of course, is Christianity. Um, but then there's also agnostics. And uh, we're going to come back to this in just a second. But there's agnostics and there's atheists. And atheists not only are confused about God, but they, uh, but they just don't know what to believe. But then there's, there's, that's the agnostics. The atheists know for a fact there is no God. And so it's not that they're confused. It's just that they know for a fact there is no God. And so difference between agnostics and atheists. I meet very few atheists. There are very few people that will tell me there is no God, and I know that for a fact. Most people are just confused. But interestingly enough, within the realm of atheism, uh, there's a group that got together. I was reading about this a couple weeks ago. And uh, the atheists all got together. They know there is no God, but yet they've just published a book. It's called The Good Book. <laughs> and so they've got their own book, and uh, it's a collection of good ideas, good sayings, good principles for life, you know, just to kind of guide you. Uh, they have a church. So you can go to an atheist church. And so I'm thinking, you know, for somebody that knows there is no God, I mean, just look around. (laughs) You know, in their heart and hearts, I think they really know better. But there's a lot of confusion out there about God. And so we're going to clear this up this morning, right? We're going to take all this confusion, and I'm going to clear it up for you right now. This is the answer to all the questions. This is going to clear everything up. Are you ready? What do we have in Christianity? Now we've got this slide. We have an empty grave. Jesus was buried, but where is his body? Unlike all the others, it's not here. He's in heaven. I had a conversation with a guy last night that asked me, well, wasn't the prophet Muhammad taken up into heaven? I was like, no, he's buried. Every world religion, every belief system was founded by someone who died and is buried and is still here on this planet. In Jesus Christ alone, we find an empty grave. That is really simple, right? This is really great news. Because what this does is it establishes some credibility about the things that Jesus taught. Jesus came from heaven, and he went back up to heaven, and he made some claims about himself, and then backed him up, and no one else did that. You know, Paul uh, Paul summarizes it like this in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless. If Christ has not been raised, then go find something else to believe in. And, And then he goes on to say, worse than that, We are false witnesses about God because we're testifying that God raised him from the grave. Everything about Christianity uh, revolves around the fact that Jesus Christ was raised from the grave. It's an important point. Jesus makes the point in John chapter 16, and this verse is on the uh, outline, white outline on the inside of your bulletin. Jesus says it this way. I came from the Father, and I entered into the world. Now I'm leaving the world, and I'm going back to the Father. Jesus' body is physically in heaven. It's not a vision. It wasn't a dream. It wasn't some kind of an experience. Jesus is physically in heaven. And that's the hope that we have when Christ returns, that we are going to be made new. We're going to be raised. We're going to be changed. And so it's important to understand that if you want to know more about God, you have to focus in on knowing more about Jesus. If you want to know God, if you want to know God more, you have to understand and know what's been accomplished through Christ and then allow that to change you. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. If you brought your Bibles with you, I want to encourage you to uh, turn with me for a moment um, to Matthew chapter 17. And uh, we're going to be looking at um, some teachings of Jesus here. He's been with his disciples. Uh, beginning in verse 1, it says, After he was with them for six days, or after six days had passed, 
uh, he took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And he took them and he led them up to a high mountain by themselves. And there he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun and his clothes became white as light. Just then there appeared before with him Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. It says, while he was still speaking, a bright cloud enveloped them. It covered them. And a voice from the clouds said this, This is my son, whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. Listen to him. Well, then the disciples heard this. They fell face down to the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and he touched them and he said, Get up. He said, Don't be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one else besides Jesus. You know, Jesus would go on to explain his coming death and his resurrection and what he was going to do in the rest of these passages. But here in verse 8, in the context of these passages, we see clearly who Jesus is. And so that's what we're going to look at this morning. I'd like to look uh, just briefly again at verses uh, 1 through 3. It said that uh, Jesus was uh, with Peter, James, and John, and uh, he leads them up onto the high mountain. They're all by themselves, and it says there he was transfigured before them. He was changed. He was made into something different. His face shone like the sun. His clothes became his light, and then appeared with him Moses and Elijah. And so we've got these three disciples that have been hanging around with their, with their friend Jesus, and uh, they've been in his presence for quite some time. And then all of a sudden, they're sitting there, and they see this man that they've been hanging around with. And uh, in an instant, there's something different about him. He's metamorphed. He, or as it's translated here, he's transfigured. He's changed. He's changed from being a man to something completely different. And, it, and it's not like he just became a man that shined. It's not as if I had you know, some lights on me and I was, I was giving off light. He was changed. There was something different completely about him. That's what transformation is. And here what we see is we have a glimpse of being able to see the two natures of Jesus Christ. Jesus is, is a man, and then Jesus is God. And he is equally both. He is fully man, and he is fully God. Now, Philippians chapter 2 says that this equality was not something that we could grasp, but it is a reality. And right here in this verse, we have an opportunity to see the two natures of Jesus Christ firsthand. Jesus is a man, then Jesus is God, his face shining like the sun, clothes as white. After he's changed, it says Moses and Elijah appeared with him. And Matthew doesn't give us any details here because Matthew is more focused on showing us who Jesus is. But in Luke chapter 9, Luke writes a little bit more about what Jesus is going to do. He writes that Jesus is talking to Moses and Elijah uh, and, they're, and they're talking with him about his upcoming death, his resurrection, and what was going to happen when he went into Jerusalem. Jesus was explaining to them how everything that they wrote about and everything that they taught about was about to come true and be made complete. And the disciples get to see this whole conversation firsthand. Jesus is explaining the law that God used Moses to write. And so Moses gets a first-hand opportunity to hear about how everything he has written is about ready to come true. And then we have the prophet Elijah sitting there who God used to speak his very words, getting to hear from Jesus how everything that you preached about is going to come true. We have all the law and the prophets coming to fulfillment in this one verse, and Jesus is making some claims about himself as the coming Messiah. Emmanuel, God is with you. And right at this point, the disciples get to see this whole thing unfold. This is such a powerful passage. 
And there's such a fundamental truth here that if you want to know God more, you really need to know Jesus Christ more because he is God. I had an appointment yesterday with uh, a doctor. So I got some stuff going on. and uh, So I walked in, and uh, you know he's poking around and doesn't say anything. And uh, the first words out of his mouth were, um, so what do you do for a living? <laughs> I'm thinking, what does that have to do with it? <laughs> I'm thinking, I, I kind of reluctantly tell him, well, you know, well, I'm a pastor. And, uh, you know, immediately the conversation goes to spiritual things. And uh, typically I don't like to tell people I'm a pastor because you know what happens when that happens? Uh, pff, walls go back up. There's so many preconceived ideas about uh, what a pastor does and what he is and what he's going to talk about. And so the cat kind of comes out of the bag like right there at the beginning, right? And so typically I don't like to get that out there. But I do, and it turns into a great spiritual conversation. And, and what a blessing to be able to have a, an opportunity to take things to a spiritual level at such a quick instance. And you have that ability, too. I want to encourage you, um, and I'm serious about this. I want to, I want to encourage you, you know, to remember this and, and write this down somewhere. I want, I want you to do this. Um, the next time somebody asks you, what do you do? Has, has anybody not been asked that question? I mean, that is a natural question to ask. You know, out in the lot, so what do you do? Or, you know, you're, uh, you know, out of the grocery store. That's a natural way to kind of connect with your neighbors. The next time somebody asks you, what do you do? This is what I want you to say. Are you ready? Say, I am a Christ follower, but I, and then fill in the blank. So what do you do? Well, I'm a Christ follower, but I work at the store. I'm a Christ follower, but, you know, right now I'm going to school. You know, I'm a Christ follower, but right now I'm looking for a job. Or I'm a Christ follower, uh, you know, but right now I'm working at home with my kids. You know, there's no such thing as a housewife. <laughs> that is a calling, and raising kids is a calling. And so if that's where you're at, you know, embrace that. When somebody asks you what you do, you're not just a housewife. You are uh, raising children and investing in their lives. And so you can say, you know, I work at home. I'm a Christ follower, but I work at home with my, with my children. And so I want to encourage you that if you will change your identity to what you do from who you are, that, that, that God will bless your socks off with that. Don't let your identity be in what you do. It's not in your job. When somebody asks you, what do you do? I'm a Christ follower and I work, and this is what I do. And that will give you an opportunity to take a conversation to a spiritual level right off the bat. God will just bless your socks off. So this happens to this doctor, and, and so he goes on to tell me, you know, he's from Korea, and uh, got, he's got an opinion about Christianity, and you know, he tells me that Christianity is great. You know, I don't, he asked me if I was familiar with the church in Korea. Oh, yeah, you know, it's, you know, means, you know I mean, just great things going on in Korea. And, and he goes on to tell me that it's so great what Christianity is doing. He loves Christianity. He said, uh, you, know, uh, you know, the Christians come in, and, and they meet people's needs, and they build homes, and they feed people. And uh, he said, you know, Christians just do a great job of meeting the needs of people. And he said, I really like that about Christianity. And then he said, you know what else Christianity offers? He said, you know, we live in a culture um, that, uh, where there's moral decay and, uh, you, know, you know, a lot of uh, just dishonesty. And he said, Christianity offers a moral truth. And he said, you know, the Christians have a sense of right and wrong. He said, I love that about Christianity. He said, Christianity is absolutely great. And it's having a great impact in Korea. It's spreading. I mean, people's needs are getting met and there's a sense of right and wrong. He said, but you know what? He goes, I don't, I don't think Jesus is God. And so I get to the end of this conversation. The guy's all talking about Christianity. He's all excited about it. And then he comes down and he says, but you know what? I, I really don't believe Jesus is God. He said, in fact, I'm probably more uh, Paul line with the lines of Confucius. He probably loved the, the good book by the atheist, just a whole collection of good sayings. He said, he said, I really, I don't believe Jesus is God. And I thought, you know, that's kind of characteristic of what we're experiencing in our culture right now. 
Everybody loves Christianity. Everybody wants to get their needs met, and everybody wants the, the, the opportunity to have a moral compass and know what's true. But when it comes to embracing Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, it breaks down. And, I, and it, as we were talking about this, and this is a conversation I unfolded, we were talking about different world religions. I told him, I said, well, look. I said, I want to share something with you. And here's the bottom line. There's a lot of things to choose from, a lot of different world religions, and I certainly understand uh, how one would be attracted to that. But I want to tell you something. You're going to have to come to grips with something. That grave was empty. No other religion can make that claim. Jesus Christ said some things about himself, and you're going to have to come to grips with that. And I encouraged him. I said, don't have your opinion about God and Jesus Christ and the Bible informed by what you see in the world. I said, if you want to know God and you want to understand who Jesus Christ is, you've got to pick up the Bible. I said, because there's a lot of stuff out there that's going to confuse you. But the God of the Bible is very clear about what it means to have a relationship with him, and it is there that you're going to find truth. And you know what happened? There was really nothing else to say at that point. You know, I invited him to get to know God more by exploring Jesus of the Bible, and not by looking around and picking and choosing the things that he liked about Christianity or church. You know, Jesus says this in uh, John 10. He said, I and the Father am one. And when he said that, the Jews picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus said to them, I have shown you many great miracles from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? And they said, oh, we're not stoning you because of the great things that you've done. We like that. You know, good job. We are stoning you not for any of these things, but for blasphemy because you, a mere man, claim to be God. You know, see, the Jews didn't understand that Jesus was a man, but he was also fully God. In fact, it was his claim to be God that triggered the events that led to his death on the cross. And when you get to the landscape of world religions and you put Christianity over here in this, in this box, there are so many people that call themselves Christians that want to be a part of Christianity but have absolutely no reality about who he is. I've got a great friend of mine that is an, uh, an, an elder in the Mormon church, and he and I have had great conversations. They believe that Jesus Christ, uh, the teachings are important, that through the teachings of Jesus Christ, um, we can know God more fully. But when it comes down to the bottom line, he said, but you know what? That Trinity doctrine, that's false. I don't believe Jesus is God. The Bible says nowhere, Jesus doesn't say anywhere in Scripture that he is God. So how can you come up with that idea? And I just, I look at this passage and I'm thinking, I, I don't know what to tell you. You know, it was the reason he was crucified. It wasn't crucified because he was causing problems with the Romans. He wasn't crucified for the miracles. He was crucified because you, a mere man, what? Claim to be God. Jesus was God. And in order to be a Christ follower, you have to understand that it is only God that can forgive sins. And if Jesus wasn't God, your sins are not forgiven and you're still dead in them. And so this idea that Jesus being God is a critical component to our faith. I've got some friends also that are Jehovah's Witnesses, and they'll come with their Bible and we'll compare notes. And I'll be looking at it with them and I'll say, well, my Bible doesn't say a God. My Bible says God. Well, he's not. He, that's because you're just interpreting this wrong. You know, it's, it's really supposed to be. He's not God. He's just a, a good teacher, and, he, and they've got the book, and it's exactly the same except for the fact that every passage that talks about Jesus' deity has been changed. And I love talking to them about it because I go to the Jehovah's Witness interlinear Greek translation, and I pull it up, and I say, there is no article A in there. Why are you putting that article in there? Jesus is God. Mormons and, and uh, Jehovah's Witnesses, they all fall into that Christianity camp. And so when you're talking to people about, are you a Christian? Yeah, it's, it's not about are you a Christian? It's not about, do you go to church? It's about, do you understand your need for a relationship with Jesus Christ? We cannot allow Christianity to be reduced 
to another world religion. It's about Jesus Christ and what he accomplished for us on the cross. And the Jews didn't get that. They wanted to stone him, and as a result, he was crucified. Jesus was God. And if you want to know more about God, if you want to know God more, it begins by knowing Jesus more. And if you don't have a relationship with him right now, you cannot know God more fully. You know, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you know, you need to make that decision because all of the things that you read, I, I've got all of these books. If you want to look at and do comparisons and, and, and you want to search things, you know, let me know. I'd love the opportunity to talk to you about what that landscape looks like. But here's the bottom line. At the end of the day, do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? You know, that is what Christianity is all about. And if you don't have that relationship with Christ, it starts there. You cannot know more of God apart from understanding who Jesus is. And if that's where you're at this morning, I want to encourage you. Uh, on the inside of your program, there's that little welcome slip. Up at the top, there's a series of numbers. Just circle the number one. If you want to know more about how to have a relationship with Jesus Christ, circle the number one. I'd love the opportunity to talk with you more about that. In fact, in just a little bit, we're going to give you an opportunity to act on your desire to do that. But getting to know God more starts first by understanding that Jesus is God. And then second, by understanding that because of that, he is our authority. And this is on the back of your outline. Now listen to what happened uh, after the disciples uh, see the transfiguration of uh, Jesus. In verses 4 and 5, after this change happens, Peter says this, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, a bright, a bright cloud enveloped them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. You know, I have to say, one of my favorite characters in Scripture is Peter. <laughs> I just absolutely love that guy because his faith is so genuine and it is so long-suffering and so long-standing. That guy just, all throughout Scripture, is just constantly getting you know things thrown at him, but the guy just remains true firm. I, I absolutely love Peter. Last week we saw in chapter 16, uh, Jesus actually rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, you stumbling block, you know, because uh, Peter didn't understand that uh, Jesus had to die on the cross. In uh, Luke 22, uh, when Peter denied knowing Jesus, um, he said, I don't know Jesus. On the third time he denied, what happened? The rooster crowed, right? And, and the second that happened, you know what the scripture says in Luke 22? It says the second that happened, Jesus turned and looked right at him. And I can just see Peter saying, like, oh, I did it again. <laughs> and then we come to this passage. You know, this great event has happened. You know, Jesus is God in the... It, it, and this great transfiguration is happening. And what does Jesus do? Mother, hey, let's build a tent. <laughs> you know, it doesn't really uh, say. In Mark chapter 9, it says that uh, Jesus was afraid to speak after the transfiguration. There was just this whole thing happened. He was afraid. He was so afraid that he did not know what to say, what he said. <laughs> in other words, Peter, not knowing what to say, said this. You know, sometimes it's just better to be quiet, right? Have you ever found yourself going, man, I just don't know what to say about that? You know, zip it. <laughs> sometimes it's just better to just sit there and be still before God, right? But Peter jumps out there. You know, it was his nature. And that's one of the things I like about him. Peter's just always out there. Uh, you always know where Peter stands. He's got this boldness about him. Uh, God would use that in an amazing way in the book of Acts to start the church. He gives the first sermon. 3,000 people believe and get baptized that day. You know, so... Peter uses his boldness, but sometimes it's good just to sit and, uh, and be still. But if you have a pen with you, I want to invite you to uh, underline the last three words of that passage for me. Listen to him. And there's an exclamation point there. 
I want to encourage you, anytime you see an exclamation point in Scripture, it's an important point. So stop and reread it. It's important. You know, the very presence of God, you know, it appears in this cloud, the same cloud that guided them in the Exodus. You know, the very presence of God, I love this image, just, just envelopes them, completely covers them up. And in this cloud, we hear this what? Hey, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. Those are the same, those are the very same words that uh, were spoken at Jesus' baptism. We have the Father speaking, this is my son in whom I am well pleased, baptizing the Son, and the Spirit descends on them like a dove. We see the full fullness of the Trinity in place at Jesus' baptism. And here we see the very presence of God, that same presence, envelope them and say, Hey, listen to him. That's a command. It's important. Listen to him. Why should you listen to Jesus? Why should we listen to him instead of all these other things? For the simple reason that he is God. And he speaks with the authority of God. And he has authority over all things. You know, there's a lot of people that you can listen to, but the point here is is that through Christ, we find we know what we need to be doing. Jesus speaks with authority. In fact, in Matthew chapter 28, he tells the disciples to go to Galilee. He's going to meet with them there. And when he gets there, he actually says this. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. If you want to know God more, you must understand the authority of Jesus Christ over all things. You know, he even has authority over Google. (laughs) Google is going to take over the world one day. I'm just convinced of it, you know. Uh, How many of you have already found your way over to a Google Plus account? Go ahead, raise your hand. You have a Google Plus account? Yeah, there's a couple of you. That's okay. If you don't have a Google Plus account yet, uh, you know, someday you will. Uh, it pulls the entire internet together, and I tell you, it's going gonna, it's gonna to take over. But I find great confidence in knowing that God is uh, even overseeing those things. You know, Romans says that that all authority is from God, you know, even governmental authority. So, you know, God's in control. Uh, but last night, or actually Friday night, uh, I was sitting around, and uh, uh, my Google stream, little thing pops up there, and it's got a link on it, and it says, um, if you think you're a sinner, um, you have been deceived. And so I'm looking at that, and I'm thinking, I really don't have time. I don't even know why I was on the page. <laughs> Shouldn't have been. But there's something, you know, I don't know. Maybe, I think it was maybe this that drew me. So I'm looking at this link and I'm thinking, I really have some things I really should be doing other than this. And so, the, you know, the guilt comes in there and, you know, have you faced the book yet? And, you know, this whole thing's going on through my mind. But, uh, you know, I'm looking at this link and I'm thinking, do I click it? You know, I really didn't want to. I really didn't want to click it. But then the guy goes on to say that he's a Christian. You know, this little box there says, I'm a Christian and I'm not a sinner. And I'm thinking, okay, now this is really getting my, I can't just leave it i got to see what the guy's got to say, right? So I clicked the link. <laughs> and I read through it, and I interacted with the guy, and I spent, you know, five minutes. That was all I gave myself, and that's all I did. So I was proud of myself for that. But I was reading the article, and uh, uh, the guy, I think the point that the guy was trying to make, that was because he was new in Christ, because he was a new creation, the old is gone, and the new has come, he's no longer a sinner. And so while I agree with this point about being new in Christ and the old being gone and you know, all that stuff, you, you can't divorce yourself from the fact that you are, in fact, a sinner because sin is a condition. And we all have it. Our righteousness before God, our standing before God, is not because we were without sin. It's rather it comes from the fact that Christ lives in us, and through him we have the ability to stand before God. And when we understand that Jesus is God, and because of his authority, he can forgive our sins, it's then that we are able to obey his commands, and he will live in us, 
and we will live in him. We're occupied by the spirit of God and it's there that we find our right standing before God. And let me just say this, that that truth, that truth right there is what unlocks the power of God to transform our lives. When you live in light of that truth, guys, you know what that means? That means when an email hits your inbox that, and it has a, it's a link to a website that you know you should not visit. In Jesus' name and under his authority, you have the power to choose not to click the link. And ladies, when you're standing in that checkout line at the store, and you're standing there and you look over at that magazine, and you see that magazine suggesting what you should be wearing and how to please your man, in Jesus' name and under his authority, you have the power not to find your identity defined by this culture. And no matter what situation you find yourself in, and no matter what temptation you face, and no matter what you're holding on to from the past, or what you're struggling with in the present, you have the ability to find the freedom that comes from knowing Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior and being under His authority. And the power that spoke creation into existence lives within the life of every believer. And if you took communion this morning, then that power lives in your life and is available to you. We can come before our God, and we can place ourselves under His authority, and He can strengthen us and begin a new work in our life. That's life transformation. That is why we are here. That is what we celebrate. And this is such a powerful passage. It is such an important step. It is such a, a critical part of our living the Christian life that it seems strange to me to say that if that's where you're at this morning, circle the number two, and I'll get back to you next week. And so this morning, I want to invite you that if you want that in your life, if you want the power of God to work in your life in that way, I want to ask you to circle the number two on your uh, bulletin, and sir, on your welcome thing. And I want to get that back from you. But I want to take this a step further. I was going to do something after the service. Uh, we tried this last night. And, uh, but I, but I want, what I want to do is invite you to let us pray for you right now. You know, I mean, if you can't come to your creator, if you can't come to God in the middle of a worship service, then what's the point, right? I mean, put your name on your welcome slip. And if you want a relationship with Christ, you know, circle one. If you want to know more of the power of God working in your life, then circle the number two. But I'm going to ask uh, our, a member of our worship team to come out. They're going to, while they're playing this next song, I want to invite you to come up front right now. We want an opportunity to pray with you. So we have uh, two members of our prayer team that are going to come forward. Uh, John and Diane are going to come up here. I'm going to be over here to the right. And I want to encourage you that if you want to know more about how to have the power of God working in your life, to come forward right now and let them pray for you. If you want to know more about how to have a relationship with Christ, I want an opportunity to pray with you right now to do that. And we'll follow up with you later, but we're going to spend a few moments and we're going to do that right now. So if you'd just uh, take a moment to uh, come forward and let us pray for you. Not able to stand, if you just raise your hand. We have a member of our prayer team that will actually come to your seat and pray with you. So uh, let's just take a moment. If we can pray for you this morning, we just want to invite you to either come forward or just raise your hand right now.
Father, I just thank you that in the midst of our suffering and our trials, that we have the ability to come to you. That uh, Your word says that we have one mediator between us and God, Jesus Christ. And that, God, that we can come to you at any time uh, is such a blessing and such a gift. And I just pray that you would continue to uh, just increase our faith, God, and to draw us close to yourself. May we, may we be able to know uh, more of you on a daily basis. Well, if you uh, would like someone to pray with you after the service, our overseer is going to be coming together, and they're going to meet in the prayer room down the hallway to the right. And so that will be uh, following the service this morning. And I just want to encourage you, that if you want to know more about how to have a relationship with Christ, uh, circle the number one. Uh, if there's something that we can pray for you about, uh, please circle that uh, number two. Knowing God more starts by knowing that Jesus Christ is God, by knowing that Jesus Christ is our authority. And then third by having Jesus is the object of our worship. Jesus needs to be the object of our worship. When the disciples see uh, Jesus transfigured, he's transformed, uh, when they hear about this plan that he's rolling out, and they see the authority that Jesus has, they're overwhelmed, and they fall on their face. It says, beginning in verse 6, when they heard it, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and he touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. When they looked up, they saw Jesus alone. You know, when you think of all that has been accomplished for you, are you in awe? You know, the reflective time before communion, or the reflective time that we just experienced together is a type of worship that we're able to have and live out on a daily basis. We have the ability to come directly into our Father's presence, to have him envelop us. The power of the Holy Spirit is working at work in us but we come into this presence and we come through the power of the Holy Spirit only through God's grace and faith in Christ because He is the object of our worship. It's even reflected in how we pray. We pray to our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your will be done, your kingdom come. And we pray to our Father in heaven and we pray through the power of the Holy Spirit working in us, but we pray in the name of Jesus. Our Father who art in heaven, we pray, and then what do we say? In Jesus' name, amen. May this be true. We come to the Father through the Son in the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, when we have Jesus as the object of our faith, when we are focused on him, we're able to experience Jesus' compassion. We're able to experience the love that God offers from the Bible. There's nothing to be afraid of. There is no condemnation for those that are uh, under Christ Jesus. And we have the ability, and I love Jesus' uh, just a picture of what happens here. When Jesus sees them fall face down to the ground, what's he do? He doesn't smack them and say, hey, what are you doing? Get up. And he walks up there, and he, and he just he puts his hand on them. He touches them. There's just something physical about being able to come into the presence of God. Jesus came to earth so that we could experience a physical part that spiritual reality, that spiritual truth. And he touches them and he says, don't be afraid. Get up. Jesus is a, a God of compassion. You know, I read through the Quran, I don't find one place the word love in the Quran. You know, it's only in Christianity that you find the story about a God that loved us enough that came down to establish a relationship with us. And I just love the imagery of Jesus' compassion. And as a result of who we are in Christ, that is where we keep our focus. Hebrews 12.2 says what? Let us fix our eyes on church. Let us fix our eyes on being good. Let us fix our eyes on everything that's going on around in the world. No. 
Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and then what? He sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus is physically in heaven, and the claims that he made about himself are true, and it was backed up with the resurrection. And if you want to know more of God, if you want to know God and know more of the power of his working in your life, it begins by knowing that Jesus is God, by living under his authority, and by making him the object of your worship. And so this morning, I just it's my prayer for each of us that we'd be able to get to that place where we're able to experience that joy, that we'd be able to experience the fullness of life that John promises in 1010. Jesus came so we could have life and have it to the full. But we're not just living this life out in, in, in light of what we have in Christ now. We eagerly anticipate the point where we're going to stand before Jesus on his throne in heaven as well. And that's where we place our hope. This world is temporary. The things that we're going through right now are temporary. Our hope lies not in the things of this world, but in where we're going to spend eternity through Christ. It's my prayer for each of us this morning that we'd be able to embrace those truths. And if you have questions about those, I want to encourage you to let us know how we can help you find answers. A welcome slip on the inside of your bulletin is an opportunity for you to share with us how we can help you to know more about God and help you become more of a passionate follower of Christ. Want to know more about Jesus? Circle one. Want to know more about the power of God in your life? Circle two. And if you just want to uh, uh, be able to, uh, maybe we'll just circle three this morning and say, you know what? Circle three if it's, if it's your desire to make Jesus the object of your faith. We're not going to follow up with you on that, but if you just want to uh, just you know, declare that Jesus is the object of your faith this morning, uh, circle the number three, and uh, we will uh, celebrate that decision with you. Our ushers are going to come forward now, and uh, we want to collect those um, welcome slips from you. And then we're also going to be collecting our tithes and offerings. And so this is an opportunity for us um, to worship God in this way. Uh, and so we'll be collecting our tithes and offerings as well. But I'd like to ask you to join with me in prayer as we seek more of God in our lives and we lift our tithes and offerings up to, uh, to our Father in heaven. May he use them. May we be good stewards of shining a light uh, in our community for Christ. Father, I just want to thank you for our time together this morning. I thank you for the opportunity that we have to come and to celebrate um, this new life that's available to us through Christ. And uh, God, I pray that you would just continue to cultivate in our hearts a desire to know you more, know you more deeply. And may our faith resonate and impact and influence the lives of those people around us. God, we live in a world where 50% of the people not only don't believe you, but just believe something else. And I just pray that we'd be effective witnesses against that. Uh, God, may uh, you light a new fresh fire in each of us. And we lift our tithes and offerings up to you this morning. I thank you for all the ways you provide for our ministry, for the opportunity that we have um, to reach in uh, through backpacks, through concerts, just through our conversations with our neighbors. I just thank you for the opportunity that you give us to be good stewards with our times, our talents, and our resources. God, may they all be used for your glory. And we pray all these things in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen.